All right, let's do it. Uh, episode 593 of the podcast. Welcome to BD4. The Knicks lose. Let's not waste time. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. You are listening to BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. We also do MMA. Yanks every series, Knicks every game, MMA on occasion. Let's get to it. Anthony for three. Welcome to the podcast, episode 593 of BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. We also do MMA, Yanks every series, Knicks every game, MMA on occasion. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. And um, yeah, we're talking New York Knicks. You know where to follow me, subscribe, support the show, all that's in the description. No need to waste time and talk about that right now. I'm not even going to get into the summary of this game uh, where the Knicks lost in Utah last night, 117-113. to 113. Usually I like to summarize, you know, touch on quarters 1-4 to four, real briefly, recap it before we, be, before we begin, but my God, I, I just want to dive right into it, man. Just talk about the things that we need to discuss because... Um, Let's like the elephant in the room would be the defense the entire time I'd be recapping the game, right? So I want to get right into that conversation and um, discuss this Knicks defense because this Knicks defense, let's just be blunt here, without Mitchell Robinson, especially, it's going to be an issue. And it was a defense that was already trending downward. You know, they already had problems when Mitch was healthy. He started to taper off a little bit since his hot start. Um, but with him gone, with the way they're playing defensively, the way they're trending, and with this schedule they've got coming up to close out 2023, I don't see how I could be super optimistic. Um, I'm not saying I'm going to completely give up on this team. I think that's a little crazy, but I think anybody who has concerns any skeptics out there who think the Knicks have a chance to fall below 500 fall to a play-in team I think you have a reasonable mindset um it's you're going to be without Mitchell Robinson for at least 10 weeks right eight to ten weeks and then he's got to be reevaluated after that a lot of things aren't looking good the rim protection is gone um, you watched last night, and you would have thought Walker Kessler was Shaquille O'Neal in the third quarter. 
He scored nine points on the night. He scored seven points in the third quarter, just beating Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein backdoor, a couple of cuts, beating them in pick and roll, beating them on the glass, boxing out. Kessler finished with nine points, eight rebounds, and he did that in 23 minutes. Sims and I, Sims and I Hart, 11 points combined, eight rebounds combined. That's in 48 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, it was bad watching them too. And, and as much as we praised Isaiah Hartenstein in the previous episode about his offense, didn't really do me any favors um, defensively in this game. I mean, he changed his... At the end of that third quarter, he changed the entire game for the worst there with that foul, that three-point foul on Laurie Marketing. Right, because before that, the Knicks were making a run. They were making a bit of a run. Randall was knocking down basket after basket. He went on a big run by himself, quickly caps it off with a three-point shot, and all of a sudden, the Knicks are within two points. But the last seconds come of the third quarter, and just a dumb decision where Isaiah Hartenstein's running across the court a little too aggressively, and... He runs into Laurie Markkinen, who pulls for a three. He fouls Laurie. Laurie makes all three at the line. And then this leads to a Utah Jazz 13-0 run, which bridges from the end of the third quarter to the early fourth quarter. So that, to me, changed the entire course of the game. The Knicks had a chance, committed bad foul, deflates their morale, and Utah just runs with that. Um, but it's not just at the rim. Like, I'm worried about their perimeter defense because, again, now that you're without Mitchell Robinson and Quinton Grimes is with the starting, with the second unit, the point of attack defense has been awful in the starting lineup. The Knicks are having issues defend at the point of attack. Quinton Grimes is their best defender at the point of attack on the roster, right next to Deuce McBride, who doesn't play. Um, Should. Mitchell Robinson, even though he's a big, he's pretty great at forcing turnovers at the point of attack off pick and roll. Dante DiVincenzo is more of an off-ball defender. He'll play the passing lanes. He'll bring good help defense. But he's not a great point of attack defender. Jalen Brunson's a poor point of attack defender. Julius is a very poor point of attack defender. So... The Knicks aren't great at the point of attack. They keep the you know because of that they they all they keep allowing dribble penetration. And as soon as the ball handler gets into the lane, he's kicking it out to the perimeter. And that you know that's a whole other issue because the Knicks cheat so far middle that they rely on guys like Brunson, guys like Randall to close out on shooters. But both of them are not great on their closeouts. You even saw when the Knicks switched in this game, they switched more willingly last night. Still wasn't working. They either miscommunicated, more on that in a second, or they were just getting picked on in a mismatch. So I'm worried about that. I'm, of course, worried about the rebounding. It's not going to be the same without Mitchell Robinson. Um, Again, that was something that already started to taper off. 
The Knicks were minus seven on the boards last night. They allowed 15 offensive rebounds. Do you remember a week or two ago, Breen mentioned on the telecast how the Knicks allowed eight offensive rebounds per game, and I think that was number one in basketball. I haven't looked in a bit, but I'm sure that number jumped. It's been jumping since like Miami, Phoenix, ever since then. It's been quite a bit now where that hasn't been the case, and it might get worse without Mitchell Robinson now. Probably will. That used to be a massive ingredient to the Knicks formula. But now the paint's wide open. They're not creating those second-chance opportunities anymore. The Knicks, they, they won a ton of games early on because they created much more possessions than the opponent, right? The Knicks would dominate the field goal attempt game. They wouldn't just win the field goal attempt game. They'd dominate it. They'd have games where they had 10, 11, 12 more shots than their opponent did. That was because of their ability to grab offensive rebounds and limit offensive rebounds by ending possessions on the other end. Not happening anymore. And in a few minutes, in fact, right after this break, we're going to touch on their pick-and-roll defense, and we're going to do so by breaking down some film. Now, we don't do this often on the show, but we've done it a few times in the past. I'm not great at it, so I'm still working on it, but we're going to get a little more analytical, a little more technical, and break down, break down some film because there were a number of possessions last night that I wanted to point out where the Knicks would just get completely lost in pick and roll, completely lost on every ball screen that was fucking set. So, we're going to do some film here. All right? And if you watched the game last night, you know what I'm talking about. The Knicks were killed in pick and roll. Alan Hahn mentioned it throughout the night. He was with Breen doing a telecast. I think Clyde, Clyde might be on his way out. I know he's doing less and less games every year now. You know, doesn't do the the West Coast, but I think Clyde's kind of like slowing his way into retirement. It's going to suck when he's out. But Han mentioned it. The Knicks' screen navigation was horrendous. And it was a lot of miscommunication. Not knowing when to switch versus when to stay home. You know, not knowing when to play up versus going under, or going into a full-on drop. Utah runs a motion offense with decent shooting big men. Olenek, Hendricks, Laurie, Fontecchio. So you have to be able to communicate, and you can't leave them open. The Knicks didn't communicate, and they left them open. So we're going to talk about the results that that, that generated as soon as we get back from our first break here on BD4. Now, I recorded these film breakdowns earlier in the day. All right, so we're going to get right into them as soon as we return from break. First plug coming up right now. Stay with us. We'll be right back here on episode 593 of the podcast. Stay with us. We appreciate you sticking around and listening so far. When you have a chance, be sure to open YouTube to subscribe, like, and comment. And if you're already watching on YouTube, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. We appreciate your feedback and are always looking to improve now, with that all said, let's get you back to the show.
All right, so we're going to start this off by going over three different instances where Laurie Markkinen was just left wide open off ball screens. Uh, the first instance is actually the first basket of the game where you're going to see here in this play in a few seconds, R.J. Barrett and Jericho Sims, how they completely miscommunicate the action. Um, this is right at the top of the game. So as you can see, Kelly Olenek is at the nail here. He's going to pass off to Laurie Markkinen. Olenek's going to screen, and then he's going to slip the screen. As he slips the screen, you see Jericho Sims right at, you know, right at the free throw line there. He's going to start to backtrack in a drop. So Sims is in a drop coverage, and RJ kind of late switches it. So with RJ switching and with Jericho backtracking in a drop coverage, that's going to leave Laurie Markkinen with way too much room extended free throw line to pull up. And that's exactly how you beat drop. If you're if you see the defense is playing in a drop on your pick and roll, you're pulling up. The pull up jumper is the death of the drop coverage, which it's been against the Knicks when they match up with Milwaukee, with Boston, with Utah, teams who have shooting bigs, they they've got to figure out a way to do something else off of pick and roll because this formula is not working. You'll see it here. It's just not working. Now, this possession is later on in the first quarter where, again, Laurie Marketing gets free on a three uh, because you have Utah running, I guess, a stagger with two ghost screens. Um, you're going to see Abaji come up and set this first one. There's his ghost screen. He slips it. And then Laurie Markkinen, ghost screen. He slips at the top. Randall's expecting the switch. He comes off of Laurie Markkinen and onto Tucker. But you can see Josh Hart. No switch there. He's going to stay home on Tucker. And because of that miscommunication, once again, Laurie Markkinen, top of the key, way too much space, wide open. Now, on a possession like that, it's probably best to stay home there. You got double screens. It makes it much easier for you. But, yeah, the Knicks continue to get burnt on screens, and this was a theme all night. So, not good. Now, on this possession, you're going to see Laurie Markkinen, who's on the weak side at the moment. He's going to come up to the top and knock down a three. Uh, Utah runs here what I like to call double DHO. Um, and on the second handoff, you're going to see R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly miscommunicate on the second one. Um, so here, Chris Dunn receives the initial handoff, comes around to the top, and as he's handing it off to Lori, you can see right there at the left elbow, uh, or I guess the right elbow, uh, RJ and quickly, for some reason, just both drop under. And so Lori's left wide open, and he pops it, shot drops. So it was a problem. As I continue to say, it was a problem all night for the Knicks. Okay, so now we're going to dive into a couple possessions where Fontecchio was left wide open. This one coming early first quarter, and you're going to see over on the strong side, R.J. Barrett and Dante DiVincenzo don't communicate on a ghost screen. So you'll see Fontecchio comes up, sets the ghost screen, he slips it. R.J. switches off the slip, but Dante stays home. So 
by the time Dante realizes, oh shit, I need to switch here, the shot's already up in the air, and the Knicks get burnt again. And on this second instance here, Fontecchio is going to knock down a three off of a pick and pop. It's a Horton Tucker Fontecchio pick and pop where you're going to see Randall caught in no man's land. Um, so as Horton Tucker takes it up the floor on the left side, Hart fights over the screen to stay home. And I don't know if Randall, it looks like he was backtracking about to go into a drop coverage here off the pick and roll. But then I think he what he does is he reads the pass coming and then he tries to switch. But of course, he's got a good shooting big man on the perimeter. So by the time he switches, it's too late. Um, regardless of whatever Randall was thinking, drop or switch, there's no communication there with he and Josh Hart. So it led to Fontecchio getting way too much room on the three-point line. But I think if you're Julius, you just have to know your personnel there uh, and you got to force a guy like Fontecchio into dribble penetration instead of giving him space at the top of the three-point line. So the Knicks burnt and pick and pop here off of another miscommunication. And yeah. Uh, for our final two clips here, we're going to break down a couple of times where Kessler was left wide open back door. Uh, this instance coming in the middle of the third quarter where you're going to see Kelly Olenek screen for Fontecchio here up top. Here comes the screen. Olenek screens, and then you're going to see Randall switch on to Fontecchio. Randall switches, but RJ stays home, doesn't make the switch. So now you have, once again, two-on-one ball handler, and that's going to free up Olenek, who's left wide open in the pick-and-pop. Comes to Olenek, and now because Olenek is open, the only guy on the strong side of the floor is Jericho Sims, who now has to rotate up to close out at him. And because he's closing out on Olenek, Kessler's going to be left wide open. Backdoor cut from the short corner. Basket's good. Knicks get burnt. Now, our final possession here I want to go over is pretty simple. You're going to see, once again, Kessler's on the weak side of the floor in the corner at the moment. But Isaiah Hartenstein cheating middle, and he's going to see, you're going to see him cheat so far over as Chris Dunn gets the ball, kind of gets by quickly off the screen there. So he cheats onto Chris Dunn in the back line, but that's going to leave Kessler open for another backdoor cut. And Hartenstein gets burnt. So he comes over to help. Kessler cuts. Shot's good off the pass. All right, so those were just a few instances where, again, you saw the Knicks get beat on ball screens, and, and it was a theme throughout the entire night. Um, and, again, it's it's been a problem of late. So I... I don't know, man. Like, this is going to segue me into my next topic here because I do want to go back to drop coverage. And, um, like, obviously this is a Tom Thibodeau thing. Tibbs made a few decisions last night that I didn't love. Um, but I want to start by, like, I question the drop defense. 
without Mitchell Robinson. Like, why are we still seeing the Knicks go to a drop defense against offenses like Utah who have size and shooting against Milwaukee, against Boston, who have the same thing, and Mitch is gone. So you don't have the mobility and length to recover off of the drop anymore. And we saw last night, you had Randall in a drop on that pick and pop in the first quarter. You had Jericho in a drop on Lori Markkinen a few times, first quarter, third quarter. You had Hartenstein in a drop at times. And it wasn't a ton last night, but it was enough for me to be a little frustrated. Uh, and again, you go back to those recent losses against the Bucks and the Celtics, it was even more. It just doesn't make a ton of sense to me why you would play in a drop versus teams who have the personnel to beat it with the pull-up jumper off a of pick-and-roll or in catch-and-shoot off of a pick-and-pop. You know... So it's like you take away your starting center, and now the Tom Thibodeau defense isn't as great. So who is that on to adjust? I, I think part of it, that's on the coach. Um, I, I also don't know if we can keep running an obviously very raw and not really ready Jericho Sims at starting five, especially with this schedule coming up. We have the Bucks back to back. <laughs> like Jericho Sims is just not that good right now. He kind of reminds me of year one Mitch, where he's just very athletic. He has a ton of leap, but he's like got no IQ, no smarts. He doesn't know the game. Doesn't play basketball. Like I don't know that he'll get better like Mitch was, because he is twenty five. Um, I think his role is. Not to be a starting center ever and not to fill in for Mitchell fucking Robinson. Like, I think he's a decent third-string big who gives you 10 spot minutes off the bench. I don't think he should be starting. And, you know, people are pissed off because the Knicks signed Taj Gibson yesterday. And they think every young player on the Knicks is a superstar. Just like they did with Frank. Just like they did with Dennis Smith, with Kevin Knox, with... uh, Cam Cam, uh, Cam Reddish with Obi Toppin. They do it with all of them. They had a Deuce McBride moment where they were doing the same thing. So now they want Tom Thibodeau fired because they're scared that Taj Gibson's going to take some of Jericho's minutes away, potentially. And, I mean, they were even advocating for Obi Toppin's brother to get to... Like, like they, they think everybody that's homegrown is going to be a superstar, and it's insane to me. Um, because I don't think that Jericho Sims should start. Um, and, and I think that it'd be smart to have a guy with experience like Taj Gibson who may not have the athleticism that Sims does at that age, but he has the IQ. And right now, we might need that. Um, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, the defense concerns me, the adjustments we have to make that we're not making. A little bit of a concern. Um, and speaking of like the rotation, continues to confuse me, man. Like Grimes last night, quickly, Dante. I, I want to start, we'll start with quickly because it's it's making noise. 
and I have issues with it too, with Emmanuel quickly not really playing any bigger minutes. He's actually playing less than he did last year. He scored 15 points last night. He shot 6 for 8 from the floor. But he earned 18 minutes. 10 in the first, 8 in the second half. Why does Josh Hart continue to average more minutes than the six-man runner-up last year? I don't know. Why on a night like last night where the Knicks needed every bit of his scoring, why is IQ playing a measly 18 minutes? Why was he punished for that second quarter lapse? Why did he have to come out there? I just feel like you have to have a feel for the game. Like, Tibbs took out the whole unit because they weren't playing defense. Why was quickly punished for that? Why is he only averaging 24 minutes this year? I don't know. Last year he got 29 minutes. I know it's because there's a log jam at guard now. Obi out, Dante in. And, you know, we knew this would be a conversation. But quickly still one of the best. The, 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 he's still outside Brunson, the best guard on the team. And I understand that there's going to be times where, and, and last night, you know, the size thing. That's why Tibbs goes with other guys sometimes, Hart, because of size. Grimes last night. It's Unless it's like Milwaukee. That, that excuse is going to bother me a little bit. Um, like, I'm willing to deal with the mismatch because Quickly does play defense. And I know last night it was his first game back from knee inflammation. He sat a day. Maybe that was the reason for it, but at the same time, when is Tom Thibodeau ever really load-managed? Like, if you're good to go under Tibbs, you're good to go. He's got to play you. We know this. Um, I, I'm starting to think, and I hope it's not the case because people have brought this up before, and I think I touched on it once. Maybe it's a front office directive, and it's all like politics to diminish his value in order to pay him less. I hope that's not the case, but you're starting to hear that from the fans. If anything to me, that's kind of why you got to play the kid to build his trade value in case the opportunity arises where you have to go down that avenue, which is very likely. Let's be honest. Because the Knicks are going to have to make that trade just to clear up room eventually. They're going to have to make... I heard somebody on Twitter call it like a consolidation trade. You know? They know it's coming. They know this roster is too clunky and it's too log-jammed at guard. They have to swap out some of these guards for a bigger wing. <clears throat> OG Ananobi. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, you have three small wings playing wing. And Dante DiVincenzo, Quinton Grimes, and, and Josh Hart. So moving one of them would free up quickly's minutes, but you can't move Josh Hart because of the new CBA rules. Quentin Grimes' value is not exactly good right now. You you could move Emmanuel quickly to get ahead of the whole situation, right? If you don't want to risk losing him for nothing. I have a feeling the OG and Anobi asking price will be high, something like that, attached with picks. Protected, unprotected, maybe one of each with quick. 
if the Knicks aren't comfortable paying quickly as a starter, though, or let me rephrase that, if they're not comfortable paying quickly starter money, though, and you got Brunson due for a raise soon, not to mention Randall's due at the same time for a raise, maybe they do think about that deal this year. Um, if they do, again, I, I, I think I'd be open to an OG move. Uh, the last thing I want the Knicks to do is is move quickly in a deal for you know, Carl Anthony Towns or Zach Levine or a DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> Especially not DeMar DeRozan because he's he's up at the end of the year. And why do you do something like that when you know at the end of the day this team has a ceiling and they're not getting a championship this year with or without him. That would make zero sense. Um, so, yeah, uh, this all just to go back to saying I wish quickly played more minutes. Um, and honestly, I mean, I would not be opposed to him starting, but Tibbs already made his one rotation change per year. Um, Quinton Grimes going to the bench and Dante starting. Speaking of those two, that's another decision that was interesting for me last night. Uh, Grimes was in there a little too long for a guy who was giving you completely nothing. In the fourth quarter, Tibbs subs out quickly for Julius. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, where's Dante? Grimes was in there for so long, and again, he gave you zero. And that's what I mean when I say, like, I dislike how Tibbs does these moves for size for defense because with, you know, I, I know quickly and Dante in the backcourt of two and threes is very small against Utah and Horton Tucker was given quickly some problems, but it's, it's, it's not Chris Middleton. You know what I mean? It's not the Bucks with, with all those bigs out there. It's Horton Tucker. Your team needed some hot shooting. Take the risk. Put your hottest shooter out there. I'm taking that chance. I just wish Tom Thibodeau took more chances to get some offensive upside as opposed to just staying safe and going with defense. And to make it worse, Dante eventually comes back in the final half of the fourth quarter. And he's a big, big part of the Knicks making that, you know, their trademark fake comeback where they go on that 26, was it 23 to 6 run, pull the game to win three, to within three points. And, um, fuck. <laughs> bother me if it did anything and then to make matters worse while you know for that shot when they were within three like the their ATO offense has never been good under Tom Thibodeau I don't know what he draws up in that playbook but like what was that play designing there for Josh Hart you got a good look out of it they got the shot they wanted Randall did a nice job driving in collapsing the D kicking out but why do you do it for Josh Hart? Why for a non-shooter? Why was Josh Hart out there? You figure in an ATO there, that's when you put Grimes back into the game, if anything. You needed three. But with Dante as hot as he was, as pivotal as he was to the fake comeback, I really thought he should have been the one in the action. They should have ran him through an action coming off the screen. Tibbs has never been great there. He's not exactly who who was it a few weeks a few years ago. Mike Miller. Mike Miller was the ATO king. <laughs> but 
Yeah, the Knicks' three-point shot's not falling. You're seeing what happens when Brunson's three-point shot doesn't fall. Because he also had a chance to drop one in after the heart, the heart miss. He gets a decent look. Doesn't fall. And he fell to 0 for 6 from 3. So, you're seeing what happens when Brunson's off. So it's time for Tibbs to make an adjustment there. The playbook's just not that creative. Um, yeah, for Josh Hart, that was odd to me. And, you know, we, we touched on the point of attack defense. I would like to see Deuce McBride get some minutes, man. I really wish. Like, I know he likes, Tom Thibodeau likes consistency. He likes a continuity. He likes established roles, guys knowing exactly what, when, where, every night. But I wish, like, here and there he expanded it to 10. Because I feel like Deuce McBride, Deuce McBride would really help us on a stretch that we got coming up right now. We're going to need his point of attack defense. Because we're getting torched every night right now on that end. 146 points to Milwaukee. 130-something. 130-something again the next night. 100-whatever last night to Utah. I really do think finding Deuce McBride seven to nine minutes off the bench, shave a few off of Hart on this night. Dante, if he's not hitting on this night. like Really, every guard but quickly in Brunson. Try to find time to add 10. Deuce McBride would help out. He's not great offensively. He's not the most confident, aggressive dude. But if you added a 10th man, and I know this is not going to happen. It's a moot point. But I feel like with his defense being as good as it is, he'd have more positive impact on the team, if anything. But I don't want to kill him for that because, again, I'm not going to be like, like one of those Knicks fans who thinks every young player they have is a superstar. I'm not blaming Tibbs for this loss either. I'm not doing the whole fire Tibbs thing like Zoomers do on Twitter after every little loss of every little game. But, yeah, no, the Knicks lost because their best player had a horrible game. I don't care if he had 23-7-7. The eye test told me something different. He missed all six of his threes. He missed five free throw attempts. The Knicks as a team, they missed 30 of their 39 three-point attempts. They shot 69% at the free throw line. Guys are simply not executing right now. And I have to say, for all the complaining we just did about Grimes being in for so long, you got to look at the other side of it too. Tibbs gets shit for not trusting his young players. What do you call that? He will never get that recognition though, right? Only when it makes him look bad, you bring up player development. But not when he leaves Quentin Grimes in because he trusts him in the fourth quarter in the second half there. I, under Fisdale, under Hornacek, Fisher, Rambis, the Knicks play this poorly of a game as they did last night. They lose by 40 points, and their coach is smiling. We all remember that Bucks game. So I'm not blaming the coach. Um, a loss is a loss, though. And the Knicks have to find out other ways to win now. They have to figure this shit out because... Their identity, their formula, second chance points, rebounds, defense, protecting the paint, forcing turnovers, that's not there. Not anymore. Not with Mitch out, not with Grimes, with the second unit. The starting unit's a liability defensively. And their offense is too sporadic because 
They got two guys running ISO all the time. And on nights like last night, and on nights like last night, gotta slow down, where they're missing everything on the perimeter and they're not playing any defense. They had no other way to win. They have to find one. You can only get away with terrible nights and still win because you got superstars. That's the only way you could do it. Look at the Bucks. Giannis scored 64 points last night. So despite them shooting 25% on threes and getting out-rebounded by the Pacers, they got a guy who's arguably the best player in basketball right now. He's like, okay, I'll just score 64 points. The Knicks don't have that. The Knicks don't have a star. They have Brunson. Okay, good. A drop-off. Then they have Randall. Good. An even bigger drop-off. And then they have a bunch of mediocre, replaceable role players. So until then, until the Knicks get a real star in here, Brunson's got to step up because Randall is carrying his ass right now. Carrying his ass to losses, but those could be wins if he got some damn help. It wasn't just long ago where we were asking for Brunson to get some help. It feels like nobody can ever click at the same time. That's why something's off this year. Brunson and RJ were bad. They look a little lost right now. Brunson, I he's clearly, in my opinion, still banged up with the ankle because he looks slower defensively. He hasn't been as aggressive, especially in that Toronto game. Last night, they put a lot of size and physicality on him. He got to his spots, but he just missed. The three-point regression is hitting him hard right now. I think it's a little bit of just law of averages. You know, the inconsistencies are starting to pile up. He's not even close to having the year that he had last year. People thought he'd get better. (laughs) No. I love Brunson, but he's not having the greatest seasons. RJ, he looks abysmal since coming back from the the migraine, whatever it was. Last night, he was a complete abomination. He had some moments to start the second half, but that was really all. The three-point regression is also hitting him hard. He was at 50% before the migraines. He's at 25% since he came back. I was hoping for something in between. Hover around a league average, 35%. He's there right now, but it it keeps going down. If it's not a corner three-pointer, he's missing the shot. Above the break, top of the key, off the dribble, he's missing. And again, I'll continue to hit on this. It's the decision-making on his drives that concerns me most. I rewatched a couple of his possessions last night, and the amount of times where he forced a shot at the basket with Walker Kessler down there, unreal. Instead of resetting, kicking out, he's taken some contested floater or short mid-range where he's been abysmal. He missed quickly on the perimeter out of a pistol action with them two and iHeart. He missed Brunson on the outside when he forced it right. He's forcing shots early in the shot clock. Took a bad shot at the end of the first half where Brunson was up top of the ball. His back was to the basket. He's clearly holding it for one. But he turns around. He sees that Fonteco's bringing help. And he only swings to RJ for that reason. And with maybe seven seconds left on the clock still, 
it was either Laurie Markinen or, or, or Walker Kessler contesting him pretty well. RJ takes a wing three-point attempt, misses, and Utah now gets a chance to score in transition. I don't think they did, but not the point. It's just not happening with RJ, man. Like that leap that a lot of us wanted to happen, I was skeptical skeptical for a reason because I don't think it's coming. I, I think we are in year five of the RJ Barrett experiment, and I think he's a decent player, but he's got a lot of inefficient, a lot of deficiencies, and one of that is because he's so inefficient. That's his thing. He's a he's a high volume, low efficient scorer. He still can't shoot the three pointer. He still has no mid range game. Short, long, doesn't matter. Doesn't have much of a post game. He still has an incon- he still has an inconsistent touch at the basket. He still can't create. The only thing you can say right now, which makes RJ much more bearable on bad nights, is that he's still getting to the line, knocking down free throws. And he's playing adequate defense. That's that's actually the biggest thing for me, is that his defense has remained pretty consistent all year. It's not amazing, but it's been fine. So, I'll give him that. When we return from break, I want to talk about the two guys who actually played well last night. And we'll hand them their bing-bong balls because of it. We'll do that when we return from break. Stay with us here on BD4. Be right back. Episode 593 of the show. You can also find us on social media. If you'd like, you can follow BD4 on Facebook. And we're at BD4Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We appreciate you helping us grow more and more every day. Let's get back to it. If you have time in the day or maybe just prefer old-fashioned reading over listening, then you can always follow along and subscribe to BD4Blog by going to bd4blog.com. We're not on there as often, but when we do post, it's just as entertaining, opinionated, and passionate as we are on this podcast. Thank you so much. And let's keep on with the show. Welcome back to the show. Episode 593 of BD4. I'm your host, RJ Carbone. The Knicks lose 117-113 in Utah last night against the Jazz. The first game of a, I think, five-game West Coast trip. One positive last night. We're going to run through these because I don't really feel like being positive right now. But you got to give the guy credit when it's due because we give him so much shit when he's off. Bing bang! Julius Randle. 32 points, 12 rebounds, 6 assists. Shot 61% from the floor. One steal, one block. He was great. Julius doesn't play last night. The Knicks do get rocked. Simple. Very simple. Um, He's been the best player on the Knicks lately, and it's not been close. Did he have some bad moments last night? Yeah, the defense wasn't amazing. Kind of had a quiet fourth quarter, but that was more him creating offense off drives and kicking it to the perimeter. But relative to everybody else, he did his damn thing last night. Finishing at the basket again. He looks so confident in the mid-range, in the post. It's nice to see. He had an excellent start to the game in the first quarter. So he gets it. He gets the award. And he's now got six game balls on the season. 
And then, real briefly, we'll hand one out to Emmanuel quickly in the second unit. Bing bang. Yeah, quickly last night. Quickly had 15 points, as we said. Six of eight shooting, 75%. Three of four from three, 75%. We said everything we had to say on quick earlier. Um, Gave you some great offense when not many other guys gave you offense, and he deserved more minutes. And the defense, you know, the defense, sure, he, he struggled a little bit on Horton Tucker, but again, I'm taking my chances. So quickly he's getting the game ball, and he leads the team. He leads the Knicks in game balls this season with 10 of them damn, or no, 11, 11 of them damn things. 11 game balls. Is that right? Did I rest, Did I mess up the graphic there? Can I not count? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Yeah, okay, we're good. 11 game balls on the season for quick. But those are really the only two positives. Uh-huh. And I'm hoping we can have some more positives coming up, but it's going to be tough. Because up next, well, the West Coast trip continues tomorrow. And you got even tougher competition, starting with Phoenix, 10 p.m. tomorrow night. As I record, it is Thursday, December 14th. So... Tomorrow we have the Suns, and the rest of the year, as I said, is, is also just tough tough competition coming up. The next 10 games are against teams who have a record above 500 as of now. Um, so I don't have the, the highest hope, um, but I will say that every time I lose hope with this team, they always respond and show me that I'm wrong. They always eventually find it when their backs are against the wall. It's kind of at that point right now. They're on the brink of being in a spot where fans are going to get frustrated and start really advocating for firing and this got to be traded and that like it was mid-December last year. It's it's crazy how we're always like that around this time of year. So hopefully the same thing happens this year where we go on a run. But it's going to be hard to envision that with what we've got coming up. We've got a hell of a December here. So it's make or break time. Is this Knicks team mediocre, less than mediocre, or are they closer to the team that they were last season? We're about to find out. We're about to find out what they're made of. So that's it. We're going to head to our final break, and we'll wrap this thing up with our trivia when we return. Stay with us here on episode 593 of BD4. Studio 69 Productions is a podcast production agency created by Leo Rodriguez to allow content creators to market their podcast. It's an online platform that will market your podcast or any other project that you're working on. Get in touch with Leo Rodriguez from Studio 69 Productions. You can find Studio 69 Productions on Instagram at Studio69NJ. Studio 69 Productions, where dreams are heard and born. Welcome back to the show. Let's get to our trivia. Okay, so for this episode, our NYY, NYK, MMA trivia question of the day is, two players are tied for the most turnovers in a regular season game for the Knicks. Who are they? 
and how many. All right, two players are tied for the most turnovers in a regular season game for the Knicks. Who are they and how many? So let me know the answer wherever you can reach me. If you get the answer correct, I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. Two players are tied for the most turnovers in a regular season game for the Knicks. Who are they? How many? It's not often we do negative questions, but I'm feeling negative tonight, man. I got to tell you, it's it's not fun right now. We'll see. So that's it. I'll see you in 594 when we're talking Knicks, Suns. Can't say it's going to be a great show, but hopefully it's, it's one that surprises us and it's like a statement win and it wakes them up. Maybe Taj Gibson is the savior. <laughs> yeah. This episode was brought to you by Anchor. Hey there. If you stayed the entire way through, we thank you immensely for it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you come back for the next episode real soon. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, Download these episodes and share them with your friends as well. BD4 is a five-star podcast simply because of you. And we'd like to keep it that way. Have a wonderful day. Go Yankees and go Knicks.